I want to start um, just by talking a little bit about uh, the earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. I'm sure you have paid attention to that, and maybe like me, you felt a little just uh, overwhelmed. Uh, what can I do to make a difference? You're certainly bothered by the, the loss of what's nearing 50,000 lives at this point. I, I just saw on the news uh, late last evening that they're turning to more of um, the rescue operation, no longer looking to recover lives as far as those that are still living. And for two weeks, we've been looking at uh, images, or many of us have been looking at images of the devastation, lives turned upside down. Uh, we, we've heard that more than a million people have been displaced and uh, many of us ask that question, what can I do? How can I help? We're bothered by it. it. It gets to us. We can't imagine that loss of life. I know when the death toll approached closer to uh, 24, 25,000, I began reflecting on the thought that what if everyone in Lebanon uh, was, was no longer here? It just starts to let the gravity of that situation sink in. And as we wonder what can we do to help, um, there are a number of great organizations and agencies that are serving in Turkey and Syria. Uh, what you see uh, behind me on the screen is a picture. It's on the landing page of one of our global impact partners, IDES. Uh, we have a number of global impact partners that we work with at Lebanon Christian Church to make a difference all around the world. And IDES is one of those. IDES stands for International Disaster Emergency Services. And what IDES does is that they mobilize the church all around the world uh, to meet needs when disaster strikes. And so they're on the ground when floods strike in places in the world, hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes, um, they're, they're there. They're there in our country. They're there around the world. But what makes them so unique is they actually work with the local church and organizations already in that area. And so IDES is on the ground working in Turkey and Syria. They updated their pages. We can say they're already working through partners. And so it's an organization that's reputable, that you can trust. It's who we trust. I know you may choose to support somewhere else, but the eyes would be a great way to get involved, to make a difference if you're feeling led to do that in the earthquake uh, aftermath in Turkey and Syria. But I want to tell you something else, is that even if you've been wondering what you can do, I want to encourage you that you've already done something. And you may wonder, well, what have I done? Well, 20 cents of every dollar that gets given to Lebanon Christian Church gets used to impact the globe outside of Lebanon Christian Church and our ministries. It gets invested in our global impact partners locally and internationally. And something you need to celebrate is because of your generous support of Lebanon Christian Church, we keep some reserve funds on hand to be used when things like this happen. And so your dollars are already on their way to Turkey and Syria to make a difference with IDES. In fact, uh, just this last week, our global impact team uh, decided to send $10,000 uh, through IDES to Turkey and Syria. And I want you to know that. I think that should be celebrated. I think you should know that you're a part of working in a crisis even when you don't know how. Now, I know that some of you may say, I want to do more, and that's why, again, uh, we put this on the screen. If you go to ides.org, their landing page says you can click here to give. You can put in your necessary information, credit card, bank statement, uh, bank account, whatever it is you're going to give from, and choose the fund, Turkey and Syria earthquake. 
Uh, the beauty of IDES is that 100% of every donation that comes marked for a specific disaster goes directly to that disaster. They cover their overhead through the gifts from churches, some of the monthly support that churches like ours give them. And so every dollar you give will go directly to people impacted by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria if you choose to do that. Every dollar of our $10,000 that's coming on behalf of Lebanon Christian Church, on behalf of you, uh, is doing that. And I just, I just want you to know that. Because sometimes we gather in a space like this, and we gather over worship environments, and we have children meeting down the hall, and we'll have students upstairs, and, and, and people are giving their offerings, and a kid may throw 25 cents in and wonder, what can I do to make a difference? But the truth is, is that two and a half cents of that is going directly to impact. So they're making a difference just like you and I are making a difference. And so we want to celebrate that. I do want to take a moment just to pray that God would continue to work through his people uh, to help in the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. God, I thank you that even in the midst of devastating and heartbreaking reports, we know that, that you are on the move. Father, we know that you're working, um, you're sustaining rescue workers, you're working through organizations made up of people that love you, some of them who have followed you more in secrecy because of persecution, and yet they're on the ground, and they're bringing food, and they're bringing water, and they're bringing shelter, and building these tent communities, and providing clothes, and necessities to, to restore life uh, to the people who have been affected. And God, I pray you continue to strengthen them. You continue to encourage them. I pray, God, that you would compel your people who are able to continue to support uh, those who are ministering, not just in this disaster, but other disasters. And God, I pray that you would raise up your church in Turkey uh, and Syria to come alongside those who are displaced and those who are broken, those who've had their whole worlds turned upside down, those who are questioning um, where is God? Is there a God? And to be able to use their influence to point them to you to find your hope and your help in their time of need. God, I also thank you that even as we pray for men and women in Turkey and Syria, uh, we also see that you're working through the lives of countless young people in our own country. God, I praise you for just the special way you're showing off uh, in Kentucky and, and other campuses around the United States. And I pray, Lord, that what we experience of you in grand ways and small ways would compel us just to hunger and thirst for you more. That you would use what's happening uh, at Asbury and other places. Would you would use what's happening in Turkey and Syria to draw us to you. God, help us not be miracle chasers, but help us to be people who pursue you and want you and are willing to live recklessly and relentlessly for you. God, stir in us, awaken us, show us that, that you are on the move and may we trust in that and abandon all for you. God, I pray that you would guide us and lead us uh, in the rest of our worship experience today. May your words penetrate our hearts. May we be compelled. May you cut through doubts and uncertainty in our own lives and draw us to be men and women who pursue you and pursue others. And it's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, last week, uh, 
Sean kicked off uh, the second of three teaching series that are meant to kind of give the the spiritual foundation, the biblical foundation, the, the kind of undergirding for our strategic plan that's going to encompass the next three years to, to be a church that's more intentional in our pursuit of Jesus, our pursuit of one another, our relationships with others, both within the church and outside of the church, um, to pursue our purpose, to find ourselves and then God's story and how he wants to use us. And so we're kind of exploring each of these. We have to pursue Jesus first. And again, Sean launched Pursue One Another last week. And, and what Sean demonstrated for us is just how unique uh, the relationships, the community of those who called themselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, was in these early days of people growing to live like Jesus. Uh, he shared with us just this intimacy they had, the togetherness they had, and how that was shaped in part by how they welcomed one another, how they encouraged one another, um, how, they, how they served one another and with one another, how, how it was just this, this beautiful picture of people relating. Uh, and really, they were radical and revolutionary and, and quite honestly, life-transforming relationships that were taking place among those who were disciples of Jesus. And I would even submit that they were world-changing. It's because of the intimacy and the special community and togetherness and belonging that the early church had that they were able to make such a profound impact on the world through the power of God. Uh, there's something to be said for the relationships that they had. And we're going to continue to explore that because if we're going to pursue one another, there should be something unique and different and revolutionary and radical and countercultural about how disciples of Jesus relate to one another. And if we are embodying that, that will then affect how we impact the world around us. As we think about the togetherness that we see among the early followers of Jesus, I just want you to take a look at this brief survey here of passages in the book of Acts. These are all the places in the book of Acts where it speaks about disciples of Jesus, the church, Christians coming together. I think there are 12 up there. There are 28 chapters in Acts. And so that means that every time you open up your, your Bible in the book of Acts, there's probably a reference on one of those two pages. It just shows how again and again in the life of God's people over the course of 30 plus years, a big component, a central component of their lives is that they were together they, they related, they, they, there, was, there was this camaraderie, there was this community among them. And that was shaped primarily by how they related to each other. How they related to each other was different. And again, Sean shared with us last week that some of that difference was the welcoming and the encouraging and the serving. But there, there are far more ways that related that made them unique. You may say, well, Craig, why were they so countercultural? Why were, why were they so radical and revolutionary? Well, in short, it's because they were men and women who were trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus was countercultural, and Jesus was radical, and Jesus was revolutionary, and they were trying to look like him, to live like him. In fact, if you turn to Acts chapter 11, you'll find this reference as Paul and Barnabas come into Antioch, and it says this of the church. It says that the believers, the disciples, were first called Christians at Antioch, or the disciples were called Christians at Antioch first. And I share that with you because there was something about this community of people who had designated themselves followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, and people looked at them and they said, look, they look like Christ. They look like Jesus in their behavior, in their speech, in their actions, how they cared for one another. They looked like Jesus. 
What, what fueled the togetherness in the church in Acts? What will fuel the togetherness in our own body of Christ today in North America, in the world, at Lebanon Christian Church is our willingness to live and to act and to speak and to look like Jesus. And we sit in a really beneficial place, uh, or a place of, I would even say, privileged, not to misuse that word, and that we have all of God's instructions to tell us how we can relate to one another. When we look throughout the pages of the New Testament, uh, we find that there are a number of references to how we should treat one another in the community of faith among disciples of Jesus. In fact, there are 59 different times in our New Testament that would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, what we call the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life, what he did, who he was, how he came to save. Uh, the letters that are written from people like Paul and Peter and James and John. In, in, those, in those letters and in those Gospels, there are 59 times where we're told specifically how to relate to one another within the community of faith among disciples of Jesus. Among those 59 huh? Among those 59 references, uh, there are 35 unique, specific references um, to what we should do. So some of them are repeated. That's how we get to 59. But here are the 35. I have them in a table for you. The 35 different things um, that we are told to do to one another. Love is at the top. Uh, it occurs several more times than any of them. Even second place is far beyond that. To love one another. We're gonna be looking at John 13, 34 through 35 here a little bit later, but there are 13 other times we're told to love one another, honor one another, greet one another, welcome, show hospitality to each other. You can just move down the list, praying for one another, doing good to one another, washing one another's feet, being humble toward one another. You've got being at peace with one another, bearing with one another. That means to put up with. That's uh, where we get our patience from. Like we have to put up with each other. If there's ever one of these one another's that maybe the church needs to take a longer look at right now in our polarized world is that maybe we would put up with one another a little bit more as we, as we follow Jesus. You've got bearing one another's burdens, comforting one another, confessing our sins to one another, exhorting and encouraging. And you can see how some of these have some, some similarity, exhorting and encouraging, stirring up to good works. Those kind of have a lot in common. Serving one another, waiting for one another, submitting to one another. And there are even four that are kind of portrayed in a negative light. Don't speak against one another. Don't provoke one another. Don't judge one another. Don't envy one another. These are 35 unique, distinct statements about how God tells us we should be relating to one another. And if we relate to one another in these ways, guess what happens? There is a connection. There is an intimacy. There is a togetherness. There is a belonging. There is a, um, a community that's formed that not only lifts up the people that are a part of it, but impacts the world around us. Now you may say, well, Craig, I, we're, we're, we're looking at Acts. I don't even see Acts show up in any of these scripture references. And not all the scripture references are up there, but you would be right. We don't see a single um, love one another or serve one another in the book of Acts. Well, then why are we looking at this? Well, although you might not see those words specifically, they show up on page after page after page. When you read the stories that are unfolding in the book of Acts, you can find people bearing with one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, like speaking truth strong into someone's life because you care about them. 
It shows up on page after page after page. And even more than that, Paul, whose story is told in the book of Acts, took three missionary journeys, traveled to a number of cities. Among those cities are places like Thessalonica and Philippi, a region called Galatia. There's a city of Ephesus, a city of Colossae. All these places that Paul visited And what does he do? He writes letters to those places and those people. And guess what? In those letters, Paul mentions 25 of the 35 in his letters. 35 times he references one another passages. There's some repetition, but 25 times Paul says, this is how we should treat one another. And so as we look at that, here's the point. The radical and revolutionary and life-changing, world-changing relationships that characterize these early followers of Jesus were there because they chose to relate to one another in a different way than the world around them. There was something about their community that was different, and it was contagious, and people wanted to be a part of it because what they did was so special and so unique. If you are a disciple of Jesus... If you call yourself a Christian, there should be something so remarkably different and radical and revolutionary about how you treat other followers of Jesus that calls other people to take notice. How we treat each other, how we care for one another, how we bear burdens. Is that the case for you? Do you share a special affection in the way you relate to other disciples of Jesus? And I'll share with you at the end, I think that we are in an important era in the body of Christ in the United States of America. The enemy is wreaking havoc. People are polarized. We're putting our um, politics, we're putting our preferences, we're putting our opinions, we're putting our likes and our dislikes before our relationship with other followers of Jesus. And it's, it's wreaking havoc in the church. And if we're going to be a church that pursues one another, it will be because we pursue the one another's in scripture. We will never be intentional in impacting our world if we are not intentional about how we care for other people right here. Because we can't care for the world unless we're caring for other people well. And that doesn't mean we become insider focused and it's only about us. No, we need to love one another well and, and follow through with all the other lo- one another's so we can impact our world and get it right. So will we be a church that pursues one another by pursuing the one another's? Now, some of you may be saying, well, how am I supposed to remember all these? If there are 35 distinct one another's in the New Testament, like, am I supposed to go through a checklist every day? Am I supposed to carry this table around? Am I supposed to put it in like a little micro font, put it in my wallet and take it out and be like, okay, what do I need to do right now? Do I need to bear with somebody? Do I need to not envy? It's more intuitive than that. And we'll reach back to our very first sermon series. If we're going to pursue the one another's, the one another will come by pursuing the one another's. But we'll pursue the one another's by first pursuing Jesus. When we look to the one another's that we see, that we just saw on the screen, and we'll see them again here in a minute, Jesus embodies these. And I would even submit that the one another that occurs more times, several more times than any of the other one another's, love one another, kind of is the summary statement for all the other one another's. In fact, throw that, that table back up there again. If you think about Jesus' life for a moment, Jesus himself tells us to love one another, but look at, there's only two of these on this list, and I've asterisked by them, and I'll explain that in a moment, that you don't see describing the life of Jesus. Jesus was at peace with other people. Jesus forgave. 
Jesus stirred up to good works. Jesus even submitted. He submitted to the Father's will and gave himself up on a cross for all of us to die for our sins. He even modeled submission as he gave himself away for other people and healing them even when he's tired and exhausted. He washes other people's feet. Uh, Jesus prays for others. Jesus builds up others. Jesus instructs others in the truth. And so you see Jesus do all of these things. And I would submit that it comes underneath the whole umbrella of loving one another. Jesus models these. It's almost as though when you look at the one another's, as you take each one, if each one was a brush stroke of an artist's paintbrush, collectively those brush strokes would paint for us the image of Jesus. And so when you and I ask the question, how am I going to model this same radical and revolutionary and life-changing relationship among followers of Jesus that I see in the early church, that I, I hear described in the one another's, it can come most simply by looking to Jesus who shows us how to do each of these things. I want to lean into the words of John uh, chapter 13 uh, for the rest of our time because I think loving one another sets the stage for the rest of these. John chapter 13 is that famous passage where uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. In the midst of the evening meal, he calls out uh, his betrayer, Judas. He predicts Peter's denial. It is a hard uh, few hours in the upper room. And as the time moves on in the upper room, Jesus then turns his attention to some final instructions for his followers, for his disciples. And this is what he tells them in John 13, 34, and 35. Again, the backdrop He's washed their feet. He's predicted his betrayal. Judas has left the table. He's told, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me. And here in this context, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another is found 14 different times between the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament. The very first three mentions of it come from the lips of Jesus himself. Love one another. He tells us very specifically to love one another as he has loved us. He is our standard of love. What he has done guides us in what love is. I want to take a moment just to lean into this for a moment um, because uh, in listening to podcasts, even things that have been recommended to me by others in reading, uh, I've seen what, uh, a trend that I'm a little concerned about in the church in North America right now. And here's the trend. Uh, the, the trend is we need to stop talking about love so much. We need to stop talking about love is what the podcasters are saying, is what some of the people I'm reading are saying. And I think that's, that, that's not very good advice. I think I know what they mean. I think they mean we need to be careful that the love that we're promoting um, is a true love, a love that resonates with the life of Christ, a love that resonates with what's declared in his word. But to just simply say, let's stop talking about love, 
won't get us very far because if we de-emphasize speaking about love in the church, pop culture and the culture around us is gonna keep giving us their definitions of love. And so if we stop speaking about love, the definition of love in the world only gets louder. And so instead of looking to God for what love is, instead of looking to the example of Jesus for what love is, instead we're left listening to Sam Smith and Rihanna and whoever else telling us what love is, our magazine articles, our blog posts. But, but Jesus tells us what love is. He, he says that you love one another, How? As I have loved you, we look to his example and we look to the whole example of Jesus. And again, looking to the table, it shows us that Jesus did a lot of things. Jesus spoke the truth to people in love. You look at the whole collective of Jesus' life and you see a Jesus who's willing to speak the truth. He's willing to admonish. He's willing to extend grace, unbelievable grace. He's willing to forgive. He's willing to bear with other people. He's willing to call people to account for their actions. All of those things are expressions of love. If we emphasize the love of God and what it is, we get further than just de-emphasizing love. And so let's be a people, let's be a church who speaks about love. Isn't it interesting if you go back and you watch the sermon from now, it'll be two weeks ago this Wednesday at Asbury. The minister, the, the young man who preached without any hint of pretension, just a real and raw message from Romans, he speaks about love, but he speaks about love in such a genuine and God-honoring way. He also mentions and speaks about repentance. And so the context of God's love and repentance that a community of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds began being stirred by the Spirit in a way that has been so transformational. So, so, so let's, let's not de-emphasize love, but let's rather emphasize and clarify what love is. Who love is what God has done, what Jesus has done. Jesus says to love others as I have loved you. When we strive to love, let's look to the list of one another's. Let's allow it to give us the descriptors of what love looks like. Let's look to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we learn that love is patient and love is kind. Uh, that word patient there in 1 Corinthians 13, again, is a word that means to bear with, to put up with, to endure, not just to wait. Let's, let's be people who love in those ways, love as Jesus loved us. I also want you to see something here is that in John 13, 34, we see that loving one another as Jesus has loved us is, is not um, an invitation. It's not an option. Uh, Jesus says, a new command I give you. The king of the universe is commanding his disciples, you are to love others as I have loved you. There's an urgency here. So you must love one another. Do we feel that urgency? Or do we begin to think that love is optional for us? Maybe if I follow Jesus, I'm to love others as he has loved me. But maybe I can just go about my life and kind of ignore it. That's not an option here. There's an urgency. There's a, a mandate. I would even submit this word that it's a necessity. If we're gonna be disciples of Jesus who claim to follow King Jesus, we must be people whose lives are characterized by a love that we see in Jesus. If you don't believe me that's true, uh, you can look with me to 1 John. 
1 John chapter 4. I'll be in verses 7 and 8 first, and then we'll move on to verse 20 in a moment. But in 1 John, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Our love reveals whether or not we've been transformed by God. The degree to which we embody the, love, the one another's, uh, I believe, reflects our transformation as people who've been born again. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And again, as we look to clarify what love is, here's a pertinent distinction. Love is not God. If, if love is God, then love is the idol. And a lot of our world, love is the idol. We just came off of Valentine's Day celebrating love and all these relationships. Love can be the idol for many people. We don't want to worship love. Love is not God, but God is love. God reveals to us what true and whole and purposeful and meaningful and transformational love truly looks like. And you can read through all of 1 John. You can read even more words about what love is and what love is not. But just in case you still think that maybe love is optional, let's turn to the difficult words of verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Are we men and women who will love one another? I think it's interesting as you look at John chapter 13, again, keeping in mind the context, these are distraught disciples. We see it as Jesus washes Peter's feet. Like, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Well, I have to. Like, you can't have a part of me, Peter, unless I wash your feet. Okay, then just wash my whole body, Jesus. Well, you don't really need your whole body washed, Peter. I just need to wash your feet. Let me wash your feet. He's distraught. You get into the, the story of the supper and you have him, you know, talk about the one that will betray him. There's a lot of distress in that. You have him speak about the time when he's gonna leave the earth. You have him predict Peter's denial. There's a lot of distress. This is a distraught group of, group of disciples. And so it's to these distraught disciples who are probably in this moment wondering, how are we going to make it? Jesus said he's leaving us. The dude just left. He's going to betray him. Peter, man, you're going to deny him. Like, like, how are we going to endure? How are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? Jesus, if you're going to be gone, what are we going to do? And it's into this context that Jesus proclaims this new command. And so much so Jesus is saying to them, Guys, I know you're going to have questions when you face trials and hardships. I know you've got to be wondering, like, what are you going to do when I'm not here? I know you've got to be asking your questions, like, like when life gets hard, like, what then, Jesus? And Jesus' answer is this. Guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to love one another as I have loved you. And guess what? As you love one another as I have loved you, the world is going to know that you're my disciples, that you know me, that you've walked with me, that you've met me because you're becoming like me. You're loving one another as I have loved you. And I would submit to you as fellow followers of Jesus, as we ask questions, how are we gonna make it in a difficult world? How are we gonna make it full, in a world full of trials and hardships? How are we gonna make it in a world full of, full of doubts and disappointments? And I don't know what doubts and disappointments you've had this week. I don't know who's let you down. How are you gonna make it in a world 
where you're figuring out if there's a balloon floating overhead or if there's new missiles going to Ukraine or, or if there's another earthquake that's gonna happen. How are you gonna make it in that type of world? How are you gonna make it in a world where temptation abounds? How are you gonna make it in a world where culture seems to be growing antagonistic towards followers of Jesus? I think Jesus would say to us the same thing he said to his disciples. Here's how you're gonna make it. A new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. And then the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And if we will allow that to push us, to push us to the other one another passage, say this is what the love looks like, this is how Jesus did it. We would have such intimacy and such community and such connection and and, and such uh, powerful relationships within the church that it would spill over and people would want to have a part of that. Again, I think the time is primed for us uh, in America to think about this. Um, Because I think if we're honest, we have failed to love one another fully. We will devour each other. Uh, We will put our personal preferences, our wants, our likes, our dislikes, our offenses before our relationship with one another, before those we're called to love radically. We will gossip, we will destroy one another, we will grumble, we will complain, we will fuss when things don't go our way in our churches, in our groups, in our meetings. And then we wonder why the world struggles to see any differences between the lives of Christians and their own. There's never been a more important time for you and I to learn how to love one another than right now. And, and we have the map. There are these 35 ways that we're showing, that we were shown how to love each other, how to care for each other. Like, look to your relationships. Look to your relationship in the church. Probably look first to the relationships with the people you're having a hard time relating to and see which one of these you need to employ. Who do you need to bear with? Who do you need to come alongside and bear the burdens of? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to pray for? And in those ways, we can love one another and provide a radical example to a world in need. Just some thoughts that occurred to me as I was preparing. When we are patient with brothers and sisters in Christ who let us down, when we extend grace, when we are so overwhelmed with love that we receive one another with a holy affection, when we are the first to encourage and accept our fellow Christian, when we forgive and we lovingly admonish, when our lives are characterized by praying for one another and carrying each other's burdens, when we willingly lay down our lives in service for each other, a watching world sees Jesus. They see the richness and the fullness of the kingdom There is so much at stake. We are his ambassadors. One of the things I love about uniforms is that uniforms help us see who is coming before they ever announce themselves. Uh, when, When I'm in a store and there's someone coming near me that's wearing a a uniform and they have a duty belt on and there's likely a radio on them, and sometimes there's even an emblem for a law enforcement agency. They don't even have to tell me that they're a police officer, a sheriff's deputy. I know it before they get there because I see it. When, when a nurse or a doctor walks into a room to extend care, you see, you see the scrubs, you see the jacket. Before they even announce, I'm Dr. So-and-so, you know it because you've seen it. 
when a fireman comes to your home. They don't need to declare, hey, I'm a fireman. No, you see it. They're, they're wearing the hat. They're wearing the coveralls. They, they have the boots. They have the respirator. You see it before they even declare it. What would happen if people saw our love for one another before we even told them, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple. That's what we should be doing. That's how we should be living. People should see it before we even say it. Can people see it in your workplace? Can people see it in your school? Can people see it in your community? Can people see it in this church? I've seen this correlation. I've been a follower of Jesus since 1989. I can't do the math fast enough. I think that's about 33 years. Um, I've been a minister. I've been a pastor for the last 23 years. And I've seen this correlation unfold in all my time in the kingdom of God. Those who love one another well within the church are those who make the most profound impact for his kingdom in the world. They're making an impact in the community. They're making an impact in their schools. It's almost as though this is a training ground, and if we can't love one another well here, how are we going to love one another well out there? But those who love each other well do it so well in the community. But here's the despairing part of that. Those that I've seen make very little impact in the community and the world are often those who are very, very poor at loving one another well within the church. They backstab, they refuse to forgive, they allow bitterness and resentment to grow. They make matters of opinion, matters that define relationship and participation in church bodies rather than living with grace and mercy that we see in Jesus Christ. If we're going to be a church that pursues one another, it'll come because we pursue the one another's. And we'll pursue the one another's as we pursue Jesus, because he shows us what they really look like. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word and your truth. And God, I pray that you would foster within your body in North America, and God, really the world, but God, even more specifically, Lebanon Christian Church, a hunger and a desire to seek you first. God, a hunger and a desire to love each other as you have loved us, that you would help us live a compelling and truthful and righteous and God-honoring love that reflects you and not the love of the world and that we would champion that and proclaim that not first with our mouths, but with our lives, and then follow it with our mouths. God, would we be changed? Would we be made new? And would you use us as we live in these radical and revolutionary and life-changing relationships to change the world? And it's in your name we pray and trust in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.